What price solitude? When we live entirely alone, when we sequester ourselves from others completely, have we sacrificed some essential part of personhood? Or are we saving the best parts of ourselves for ourselves? In Walden, transcendentalist and hypocrite David Henry Thoreau wrote, I find it wholesome to be alone the greater part of the time. To be in company, even with the best, is soon wearisome and dissipating. I love to be alone. I never found the companion that was so companionable as solitude. It's Girl in Space. No, wait, sorry. Ha! It's Girl in Space on Radio Drama Revival. Hey folks, welcome to Radio Drama Revival, the podcast that showcases the diversity and vitality of modern audio fiction. I'm your host, David Reinstrom. Sorry about that. I kind of lost track of myself for a hot minute there. Let me tell you a story. In 2010, I had just graduated from college, and I had the privilege to live by myself in my parents' summer place in northwest Indiana. I had what would eventually become a full-time job, working remotely as an editor for an educational games company. Although that summer it was like a three-month probationary employment to see if it would work out. My Uncle Arnie lived in the place next door, and I'd see him a few times a week, maybe have dinner with him every other week, but for the most part, I was almost entirely alone. I'd wake up at 5 a.m. and wander down to the shores of Lake Michigan, walk for 90 minutes along the beach, listen to podcasts and recorded lectures about the history of the concerto, and I'd argue with the lecturers because there really wasn't anyone around to talk to. I befriended some folks at the newly opened brewery in town, I got into making my own beer, I dug up part of the front yard to start a garden, taught myself to bake bread, because I was just so concerned that my college education had taught me nothing. That I knew all about the grammars of language and of film, but nothing at all about how to be a human being with useful abilities. This was the summer of 2010, right, and we were looking at the official, quote-unquote, tail end of the Great Recession and the start of the Tea Party uh, in the United States. And the language used in the political discourse at that time was often pretty apocalyptic, especially in reference to the recently passed Affordable Care Act. Accordingly, I, I spent a lot of time that summer thinking about apocalypses. There was also a lot more apocalypse fiction then. The Hunger Games film came out in 2012, the novel four years before that. And I thought, like, what would my utility be at the end of the world? Who would choose me, soft-handed, soft-hearted me, to be on their team when the zombies or whatever crawled over the barricades? That thought consumed me as I tried to improve myself that summer and into the fall, not really knowing how, not really knowing what the hell I was doing or who I was supposed to be. And you might be the sort of person who imagines that spending that many months in your own company would be cool or salutary or illuminating. And I'll give you that, it was illuminating. But I was savagely lonely. I'd talk to my college and high school friends over the internet or grasp for connection on OkCupid, but not being around people made me ache. I thought I'd like it, or that after such a long time being interdependent with friends and a community in a university setting, I'd be able to be my own person in total solitude. But going cold turkey from human interaction for half a year was not smart for me. Almost a decade on, there's a lot I remember liking about that summer. But I also just remember that loneliness. And it's a feeling that brings me to today's feature, Girl in Space. This is an intensely personal project by Sarah Ray Werner, a writer, performer, and producer out of Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And it's the story of, well, a girl in space. A woman who has lived alone for something like 25 years on a space station. 
This woman, a supremely self-sufficient researcher, has convinced herself that that solitude is perfectly suitable. Well, that solitude is headed for an abrupt end. I thought about that summer a lot as I listened to this Titanic first season, which is a labor of blood, sweat, and tears by Sarah, who is, simply, in my opinion, an incredible talent. I think she starts out strong in episode 1, but by the time we get to the recently released episode 13, the hour-long season finale of season 1, the amount of improvement and mastery displayed is just astonishing. I've talked enough. Let me get out of the way. Here it is, episode 1 of Girl in Space. Cheese is delicious science. You think sometimes that you're all alone. But wherever you are, whoever you are, you're wrong. It's Girl in Space. said on the last day I ever saw you not to worry that I'd see you again part of me wants to forgive you for lying to me I mean you couldn't have known but part of me to be honest part of me is still kind of bitter even after all these years not because you left but because you left me alone. Wow. You'd think I would know better than to go through my old diaries. Nothing there but teenage heartache and angst, and a lot of really terrible poetry. (laughs) Though, they're a lot more interesting than my current diaries. Speaking of which... According to the dash, it is day 10, Mark 303, hour 0837, whatever that means. I mean, I guess I get the meaning of time insofar as is possible for a human mind, and there's a fairly distinct linear progression to my life. I just haven't ever witnessed the apparatus by which they're measured. Days, hours, when there's no rising sun or planetary rotation... These measurements feel kind of arbitrary. I mean, outside of the info here on the dash, they don't mean anything. It's always just me, out here, on the Cavatica, alone. Despite how that sounds, please note that I am super not bitter about it. In fact, I really don't mind being alone. Turns out, I like the quiet. 
It helps me think, and I get a ton of work done. Speaking of which, I think you'd be proud of me. I finally got that old stereo microscope working, and I'm going to use it today to take a better look at those weird little insects that are attempting a hostile takeover of my potato plants. Oh, and I found something while I was going through some of Mom's old stuff. It's, it's weird. I've never seen anything like it before. It's about the size of a button, and, well, <laughs> I think it actually is a button. Not like the kind you would sew onto a jacket, more like the kind you press to open a door or commit a command. But it's not attached to anything, and I don't think it ever was intended to be. So, I'm going to take it apart, and I figured, hey, might as well do so using the stereo microscope. I know, I know. Buttons and microscopes and potato-destroying insects, all before lunch... What can I say? I am a sucker for cheap thrills. Honestly, I would climb mountains or lead revolutions if there were any mountains to climb or revolutions to lead out here. But there aren't. There aren't any tombs to excavate or counterfeiting rings to bust or even any decent movies to see. Well, okay, that was me being bitter. And to be fair, there is one movie that came preloaded on the dash. It's called Jurassic Park, and I can't believe I didn't discover it until after you were gone because you would have totally loved it. It's all about the reintroduction of an extinct species that, in my opinion, was clearly dominant in the first place. I like it because it's full of heroic action and science, and because it reminds me that even the humans back on Earth have difficulty re-engineering gene expression in certain species. I used to watch it as a treat once every dozen days or so, but the Kvatic has been having some issues lately. Well, okay, more issues. And the movie playback is kind of stilted and jerky and stalls sometimes, which, to be honest, reintroduces a dash of the unexpected into a movie I can otherwise recite by heart. Nothing like a peaceful jungle landscape that pans the same scene 20 times before suddenly erupting into Dr. Sadler screaming bloody murder. And if you were here right now, you would ignore everything I just said about the movie and hone in on the word issues. And yeah, I suppose I should log those here too for posterity or whatever. So, the good news is that the Cavatica still works. Technically. Like, It has structural integrity, for the most part. And so far, I haven't been sucked out into the icy black expanse of space to die. The bad news is that the ship can't actually move, which is mainly due to its engines being dead. But before you panic, I'm alive, and I had plenty of heat and water and oxygen in the life support reserves to last while I worked out an alternative. It was actually a really interesting project, rerouting life support through the hydroponic systems into the glasshouse. I had to shut down all but three of the pods, but they're the three most integral to my work, so that's a win. Let's just hope I don't need to use the infirmary. Like, ever. Basically, the only ship-related thing that still functions properly is Charlotte, and I'm not even sure anymore that she's tied to the ship. I mean, she should be, and logically, she has to be, because there is literally nothing else that she could be tied to. I certainly didn't wire her into the glasshouse system, and yet she remains operational. 
This might sound vaguely insane, but part of me suspects that she saved up some sort of energy reserve for herself. Which, honestly, wouldn't surprise me. For an AI that's supposed to be dedicated to serving and enhancing human life, she is incredibly selfish. All right. Time to get back to work. Whatever time might actually be. I'll be taking radiation measurements from Ra, checking out those insects under the stereo microscope, and taking apart that button thing I found. Ooh, maybe my cheese will be coagulated in time for lunch. So, okay, I'm curious. I have the stereo microscope all set up, and for the first time I noticed a name etched into the side of the arm. Your name. It's faint, but it's there. My question is, why is it there? I mean, I don't really see there being an imminent danger of theft aboard a ship with a crew of three and no means of escape. Or is carving one's name into one's possessions a thing that people do? Is it a habit, a compulsion, a simple act of boredom, or even defiance? I'm... I know I'm way overthinking this, it's just... It just threw me for a loop, and I can't say I'm entirely sure why. I mean, I guess that names have power. You know, we name things for a reason. To clarify and identify them, to call and claim them, to bestow and take away power. Maybe that's what really happens to us after we die. Maybe our names are our ghosts, infused with the sum total of our accomplishments and unrealized dreams. Maybe you're haunting me through this stereo microscope. Or maybe that cheese wasn't quite ready to eat after all. At least I have the distinct honor of being haunted by Dr. Arvin Singh. (laughs) Way to be king of the nerds by including a proper title in your graffiti, Dad. Speaking of the microscope, I found a couple of things that might be of interest, with a capital O and a capital I. First, the insects that are waging their tiny, cruel war against my defenseless potatoes. I can positively say that I have never seen anything like them before. I think that normally this might not sound weird, like... There's almost a million unique documented species of insect, and there's no way I could ever memorize them all. However, I have been aboard the Kavatica for more than 9,000 days, studying every living thing on the ship, in isolation, in the massive vacuum of space. So if I haven't seen a particular species of insect before, then, well, let's just say it's significant. Current hypotheses include some kind of rapid-onset mutation, or, more improbably, recent introduction. I've isolated a few of them in a terrarium for further study, along with cuttings from a variety of other plant species. I don't know whether I prefer they devour everything in sight, or simply remain hell-bent on destroying my potatoes. Okay, next up, the button. This thing... It's so simple, it's kind of hard to describe. 
It's smooth and flat and round, made of some kind of dense plastic or maybe glass. Uh, There's a slight fingertip size indentation on the top to indicate what you're supposed to do. And when you press it, it clicks. It's oddly satisfying. Anyway. All right, I am now taking a look at it under the stereo microscope, and there is a tiny seam all around the side. Let's just see if... Okay, I'm going to see if I can find a scalpel or something to fit in there. Pardon me. Oh, no, 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 no. Pardon me. Charlotte, I am working. Out you go. Are you attempting to... Repair sensitive technical equipment. No. Go away. It appears you are attempting to... Repair sensitive technical equipment. Would you like my assistance with that? No. No, I would not. Thank you. I am glad you have opted into letting me help you. Repair sensitive technical equipment. Charlotte, no, I'm... I've got this. Just please go away. Remember the incident with the distress beacon. My databanks remember everything. Okay, just stay right there. Okay. Uh, I have a scalpel, which looks like it will fit nicely into the crack. Your attempts to repair sensitive technical equipment would be more successful with my onboard tools. All right, I've got it open. Split right down the middle like a walnut shell. Inside... Just a bunch of wires and circuits. Oh, that's weird. Uh, There's a little burn mark right where... Oh my gosh. Charlotte, back up. Yeah, no, I need to use both of the eyepieces on this thing. That's what makes it a stereo microscope. It appears that one of the microprocessors has... Burned out, burned out, burned out. My onboard tools can easily... Thank you, Charlotte. I can take it from here. What? My onboard tools can easily repair Oh my gosh. Fine. Just fix the microprocessor already. If you insist. Thank you. Okay. It's back together now, and it's still... Oh. Oh, uh, that's weird. Uh, it looks like there's a little switch right along... Um, okay. The object has begun to emit a soft and steady blue glow from within. Now let's just see what happens when I push... Oh gosh, okay, Uh, that was unexpected and terrible. I ran a quick inspection of the three functional pods and the dash core, and nothing was different. Nothing had changed. Nothing was glowing or sparking or unexpectedly functional. Happily, nothing had blown up either. I'm relatively sure I'm still alive. Uh, Charlotte's as normal as she's ever been. 
I even ran through the opening scene of Jurassic Park, and it was as jerky and stilted as ever. In short, I have no idea what I might have just activated slash done. I have no idea why Mom would have stashed this thing in one of her lockers, why or how it was broken, or why I even felt compelled to fix it. If there were anyone else on board, I might feel embarrassed. But you know what? There is no one else on board, so I can be comfortably and perfectly honest about how I probably shouldn't have tried to fix that button, and how badly it could have gone if it were some sort of weapon or self-destruct device. And hey, you know, while I'm being perfectly honest, I hate zucchini, turnips are the hell spawn of root vegetables, and I am terrified of the fish in the hydroponic tanks. But I eat all of them anyway, because they're nutritious. Okay, everything is okay. And we even learned a lesson. Don't push buttons if you're not 100% sure what they are. As they say, you know, whoever they are, no harm, no foul. I am going to get back to my calibrations and conveniently forget this ever happened. Dinner tonight was one of the Ancarinkas micas from the tanks, grilled with lemon and oregano, and quinoa that I tossed with tomatoes and spinach. I was going to have potatoes instead of the quinoa, but decided to forego them until I learned more about those insects. Strawberries and tea for dessert, and then some final radiation tests before bed. You know, while I was eating, I kept thinking about those diaries I found about how I used to feel about being alone, and how I feel about it now. I was bitter then, and angry and hopeless, and a whole lot of other things. But now? I know they say people don't really change, you know, again, whoever they are. But I think I'm kind of okay with it. I wake up, I eat, do science, eat, do more science, eat some more, and relax before I sleep. Then I rinse and repeat, just like it says on the side of my vat of Caldwell Enterprises shampoo. And between all of the eating and sciencing, I can dance and sing and tinker with broken things and invent new things and watch Jurassic Park or even just stare out into the infinite vastness of space. I think what I'm trying to say is that I don't really mind being alone as much as I think I'm supposed to. Humans are inherently social creatures, but for whatever reason, I am not. No one tells me what to do out here. No one tells me to put on shoes or sit still or wear cosmetics. My work is important and my research is challenging and fascinating. I have clean water and fresh food and access to top-notch scientific equipment. I mean, sometimes I wish I had someone to talk to, but that's what you and Charlotte are for. And the view is fantastic. So why... This is going to sound incredibly ungrateful, but, you know, hey, we're being honest here. If everything in my life is so incredibly amazing, why don't I feel happy?
Addendum, uh, day 10, Mark 303, hour 1745. This probably isn't really worth noting, but during my final radiation tests of the day, I saw a blip out in the opposite direction of Ra. It's a bright light with the pinpoint clarity of a star, but obviously it's not a star since it wasn't there yesterday. Or even a few hours ago. Also, it's moving. I would say that it's a comet or an asteroid, but at this point I don't have enough data to make that assumption. And we all know what happens when we assume. For whatever reason, Charlotte's taking this new development with all the grace of a garbage fire. She barged in on her hydraulic arm while I was checking Ra's radiation emissions earlier, and started reciting the entire Caldwell Enterprises emergency preparedness manual to me from start to finish. I took that to mean that she thinks the incoming light is a matter of some concern. I told her to be more optimistic, that it might not be coming directly toward us, that it could simply be a mirage, that she technically doesn't have a death to fear, but she just started reciting the manual all over again from the beginning. So I wedged a fallen tree branch up into the hydraulic tracks to block her from exiting the glass house. I don't know. I don't think I'm afraid of death, necessarily. At least not right now. Things live and die in cycles, and I'm not enough of a narcissist to think I'm exempt from the laws of nature. I'm weirdly... I don't know how to describe it. Interested? Excited? I mean, I'm not excited about death, or even really about whatever this approaching thing is. A comet, an asteroid, a projectile, a ship, an event, a fact, a phenomenon, an anomaly... I think I'm just intrigued by the idea that there is possibility out there. You know, that space holds things other than the stars and planets and nothingness I've seen all around me every day of my life. In all of its mystery, this thing coming toward the Kavatika signifies everything. Sounds like Charlotte found a way out. I bet she's on her way here right now to tell me that escape pods are at the ready. Escape pods at the ready. Thank you, Charlotte. But I'm pretty sure they're just about as dead and incapable of movement as the Kavatica. You know, it's interesting. The things that happen despite or because of our intentions. Escape pods at the... The feeble control that we have over this massive universe and the thin threads of chance that tie it all together. The Kavatica was never intended to be out here this long. And from what you've told me, the raw initiative was expected to, if not explicitly intended to, fail. Or at least it wasn't intended to be as long-term as it's become, or else they'd have given it better engines and a larger supply of fuel and a bigger crew. You know, an actual chance to return and make a difference. Not that I'm bitter. And yet, despite all of that, here I am, a girl in space, harnessed to one of the universe's most bizarre science fair projects, writing out my thin thread of chance regardless of whether anyone out there ever intended me to do so. Anomaly gaining speed. What? Anomaly... Gaining speed. Gaining speed. That's weird. 
Charlotte says the anomaly appears to be gaining speed. I, I don't... Hold on. I'm on my way to the galley, where I have the best view of it. Maybe I'll sleep there tonight just to keep an eye on it. For whatever good that'll do. Note to self. Create list of measures, countermeasures, and worst-case scenarios for eventual approach of disastrous phenomena, unfriendly ship, or malevolent godlike entity. Okay, um, so day 10 mark 304, hour 0553, uh, radiation levels normal, blah, 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 all of that good stuff. Okay, the thing moving toward us, it's not a meteor or an asteroid or an event or a malevolent godlike entity or a ship or any of those other things I said it might be. Dad, it's an entire fleet. Support for the Girl in Space podcast is made possible by listeners like you. You can help keep the show going, get sweet merch, and access bonus episodes for as little as $2 a month when you become a patron on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash girlinspace, all one word, to check out exclusive rewards for patrons and make your pledge. That's patreon, p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash girl in space for credits and a full transcription of this and other episodes of girl in space please visit girlinspacepodcast.com if you're interested in creative writing be sure to check out my other show right now that's right like w-r-i-t-e because puns otherwise thank you so much for listening to the girl in space podcast it means so much If you love the work that Sarah does, subscribe to Girl in Space and her nonfiction podcast, Right Now, spelled W-R-I-T-E, and consider donating to her Patreon at patreon.com slash girlinspace. You can also donate to our Patreon at patreon.com slash radiodramarevival. Here is some dope news. We are gonna be at Podtails in October. It's a one-day audio fiction festival at Leslie University in Boston. I'm so excited to see some old friends, make some new friends, moderate a few panels, and operate a booth on the show floor with me and my colleagues. 
Now, this message is for people who create an audio drama podcast but cannot attend this year's festival. Our mission is to spread the word about your show. Yes, yours. If you have business cards or stickers or anything you'd like us to hand out, mail them to us by October 12th. That mailing address is Radio Drama Revival, Care of Fred Greenhalgh, that's G-R-E-E-N-A-L-G-H, P.O. Box 51, Alfred, Maine, 04002. If you don't have business cards, reach out to us on Twitter. We're at Radio Drama. We'll work something out. Let us be your signal booster, your lighthouse. That's why we do what we do. Now, the hourglass empties, and our time together grows short. Let's have line producer Will Williams take us home with this week's Moment of Will. Hey listener, on this episode's Moment of Will, instead of giving you trivia like I usually do, because I don't know anything about space, I wanted to recommend another piece of media about a girl in space. It's a piece of media that I love and that I think pairs really well with Girl in Space. It's the music video for Porter Robinson's Shelter. You can find it on YouTube, but I'm also going to link it in our show notes. It's a gorgeous song, but it's also a gorgeous short film. I don't want to say too much about it. I think you should just go in and experience. It's surprisingly beautiful and very moving. And again, that song slaps. It's Porter Robinson's Shelter. Next episode, when we interview Sarah Ray Werner, I'll give you another recommendation for media having to do with a girl in space. And now, let us sound the traditional end of episode gong. The sound of that gong tells me it's time for the credits. This podcast is recorded in Washington, D.C., which is the unceded territory of the Piscataway Indian Nation and the Piscataway Kanoi Tribe. Our theme music is Danger Diggy Doo by DJ Stranger Danger. You can find his music on SoundCloud. Our line producer and associate interviews producer is Will Williams. Our senior interviews producer is Eli McElveen. Our associate producer is Sean Howard. Our researcher is Heather Cohen. Our social media manager is Ann Baird. Our submissions editors are Elena Fernandez-Collins and Rashika Rao. Our executive producer is Fred Greenhalge. I'm your host, David Reinstrom. And this has been Radio Drama Revival. All storytellers welcome. <laughs> <laughs>